1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's stand together as we read God's Word, and I'm reading from the ESV. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 9. For do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Go down to verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. For do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, we pray that you would anoint your word today as we deal with this very sensitive topic, but so crucial topic. Thank you that you have given us so much in your word about this because you wanted us to have truth that would set us free. God, I pray for those who are in sin that you would deliver them out today. I pray for those who are under the condemnation of the evil one that you would give them today not only the conviction of sin but the conviction of righteousness. And we pray for those who have been victims of sin that you would set them free. God, we thank you that in the gospel of Jesus is the answer and the solution for every challenge that we face in all of life. Praise you, Jesus, for your finished work. We give this time to you now in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. If the ushers now would come for the offering, please. And children ages three years through fifth grade that wish to go to children's church, you're dismissed at this time. And uh, as you give, give with joy today. Give with faith. Take out your sermon notes. we got a lot of ground to cover. You're going to need those today. And we will have some question and answer time. So jot questions down uh, on your notes that you want to maybe uh, ask later. So we are in this very important topic called sex, singleness, and sanctification. We began it last week. We'll extend it into next week. And last week we talked about who created sex. We talked about what is holy sex. We talked about the purposes of sex. Why is this area such a difficult area? And how can we have forgiveness and victory and power? So I want to quickly review one point from last week, and that is our definition from the scriptures of what is holy sex. It's the mutually satisfying union between one man and one woman in the marriage relationship that is physical, emotional, and spiritual. We learned last week that this is a, a beautifully created, sacred, holy thing that God put on earth. And that, but when you remove it from the context for which it was created, you have all kinds of problems, you have all kinds of brokenness, you have all kinds of pain and hardship. It's like anything. When God creates something, you remove it from the purpose for which he created it, and you have a lot of problems. 
I believe this area is probably the area of greatest demonic attack today because it has the potential to be so sacred and holy Satan will go after that which has the greatest potential for God's glory and he will try to rip it to shreds. In 1 Corinthians 6, we see in this passage that this sin in this area is in a different, unique category. It damages us spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and even physically when you consider sexually transmitted infections today. I liken sin in this area to fool's gold. People went out west just trying to get true gold years and years ago, and many times they were deceived by looking at something that appeared to be gold only to discover it was fool's gold. It looked like the genuine article on the outside only to leave one wanting because it wasn't what it promised. And sin is that way. It will always promise one thing and deliver another. Now, I want us to begin on a very positive note today. I want to begin by giving you five benefits of walking in holiness, walking in truth, walking in obedience. God blesses obedience. God blesses holiness. The Bible says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is a beautiful thing. And the more you get to know God, the more you will want to walk a godly, holy life. And so I have five benefits today to walking in purity. And I want these to motivate us. You know, we, 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 we sometimes focus too much on the negative when it comes to a topic like this. I want to focus on the positive. And the first benefit of holiness is that it will draw you closer to God. All of these begin with the letter C. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The Bible says in Psalms 24, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? But he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Hebrews chapter 12 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So as we walk in holiness, as we walk in purity, as we walk in obedience, what does it do? It enhances our relationship with God. We get to know God better. We grow to love God more. We see him more clearly. We hear his voice more clearly. And that should motivate us to even want to live a more godly life. Never in a legalistic way. Never to gain his love and favor because we already have that. But because of his grace, because of his favor, because of the Holy Spirit, we can live a holy life. We have a men's group that meets here on Wednesday morning called Nobleman. And I loved what one of the guys said this week as we were talking about the next two weeks in the 16-week curriculum of Nobleman. The, the two weeks we're on is on sexual purity. And I love these college guys that are in our group. Man, they are so encouraging to me. These young men in their early 20s, and one of them said this week, you know, I used to struggle with, with porn, but now it's really not that big of a struggle. And he said this, because my relationship with God has grown such that I don't even want that anymore. I said, hallelujah. That's the way God wants it to work. That we draw closer to him. Is it still a temptation? Absolutely. It probably always will be. I like the 102-year-old man who was once asked, when, do you fin when, when are you over struggling with sexual temptation? He goes, I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> so I'm not sure that this is ever an area that we won't have temptation and struggle in. But the, the more we get to know God and love God and see him develop our relationship with him, the more we're motivated to, to say no to temptation so that we don't do anything that would hinder our walk with him. 
Love that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Similar to number two, but worth its own point, is a closer relationship with others. The more you are pure in this area, the more genuine and real are your relationship with others. You look at the opposite gender not for what they are on the body level, but you're looking at them more at a spiritual level. That the purer our relationships are in this area, the more we relate to one another in a genuinely godly way. And it's not about their physical attributes. Think about this. Jesus had women that traveled with him. Now, the 12 disciples were only men, and I believe that was intentional. Those in his closest circle were only men. This is why discipleship groups should be gender-specific. But he had women that traveled with him on a regular basis, and this was not a problem. And we are to be like Jesus. So the purer we are in this area, the healthier are our relationships with others. Number three, a clear conscience. What a blessing to have a clear conscience. A clear conscience is that peace that comes knowing that nothing stands between you and God or you and another person. Does it mean perfection? Of course not. But in Acts chapter 24, Paul said, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. When I got saved my senior year in high school, somebody by the name of Rod Miner discipled me. And one of the things that he encouraged me and about three other young men to do as new believers, because all of us had recently gotten saved, is to pray this prayer. God, is there anything in my life that I need to address or deal with, anything I have done that has displeased you that I need to make sure I have dealt with because I want the dry erase board to be clean. I don't want any stains on it, any debris from the past. I, I want to see the, 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 the board wiped clean. I want a clear conscience. And God began to show me some things that I needed to deal with. One of them was going to a girl that I had dated that things went a little further than they should have. We didn't have sex, but it, it just went beyond that which I believe should have happened. And I remember going to her and asking her forgiveness. I had stolen something from a little Dollar General type place. I went back and made that right. And after that process, the, the beauty... The peace of a clear conscience. And I want to walk in that now. That if there be anything in my life that needs to be addressed, that God would show me. Because there is a wonderful blessing that comes from walking with a clear conscience. I remember counseling a couple that was living together and wasn't married and I addressed that with them, and I said, so you're living together, I assume you're having sex, yes, sir. And then I said, don't you want God's blessing in your relationship? Oh, yeah, we do. 
He can't bless disobedience. I said, you either need to get married and make it right, or you need to live apart. And they obeyed and got married, and now the blessing of God is on their marriage. See, God can't bless disobedience. Number four, it clears the baggage. <laughs> what I mean by that is that the less baggage you have to carry around when you, when you live out this thing called being a follower of Jesus the better, right? <laughs> In Galatians 6, it says, we will reap what we sow. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you reap life and peace. And so I have here my backpack that I've used when I've hiked the Appalachian Trail. And if you think about going through life with a backpack on, and this has some stuff in it that we need to get out. It's got weight in it. it in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul said that when we run the race, let us throw off everything that hinders. That literally in the Greek is the word, is the word for weight. And the sin that so easily entangles. And this is an area certainly that so easily entangles, isn't it? So Paul is saying if we're going to run the race with endurance, if we are to fix our eyes on Jesus and get rid of things that can hold us back. And so the beauty of holiness is that it clears the baggage. Less stuff that you have holding you back in your walk with God. Sexual sin, whether in thought or deed, is a huge weight on so many. Sin weighs us down spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and physically. I remember in college I heard a message by Josh McDowell. And he said, he was talking about STDs, now called STIs. He said, when you have sex with somebody, you're basically having sex with everybody they've had sex with. Because of sexually transmitted diseases. Sexually transmitted infections. Do you know that one in four sexually active teenagers has an STI? One in four. 1.2 million people have HIV, and 14% are unaware they have it. The majority of STIs are present without symptoms. 15 to 24-year-olds make up 27% of the sexually active population today. But they account for 50% of the new STIs each year. The CDC says one in five Americans have an STI on any given day. So think about the risk one takes when they have sex with somebody because they could easily that person could have an STI and not even know it. Oh, well, we just practice safe sex, huh? Condoms are not 100% effective. And they're transmitted in other ways, too. So that's a huge issue. So the more you live a holy life, the more you obey God, you just avoid all this stuff. You avoid the baggage that can come. You avoid the guilt that comes. You avoid the fractured relationships that come, and finally, number five, you're a cleaner vessel for godly service. Now, God doesn't require perfection to be used by him, praise God. But when he's looking for a glass of water to pour himself in and through, if I'm going to give you water, you come to me and say you're thirsty, this glass has pine straw and dirt in it, this glass is clean, 
I think when I am wanting to use a vessel, I'm going to prefer, and God does too, to use this vessel. What do you think? In 2 Timothy 2, verse 21, it says this, If a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared for any good work. When I think of living a holy life, I think of a sailboat. The sails are raised high, and the holier the life is, the less holes in the sail. So that when the wind of the Spirit blows, the sail gets all of the wind. There's not hindrance or, or things that hold back or, or holes in that sail, which would be sin that is not dealt with. It hinders the sailboat from, from being able to go where it's meant to go. So here's the five blessings. Closer to God, closer with others, clear conscience, clears the baggage, and it's a cleaner vessel for God. Second question I want to address today is, what about singles? Now, if we had time, we would literally go through verse by verse 1 Corinthians 7, which is the next chapter from the passage I read. But I'm just going to give you a, a brief summary of what 1 Corinthians 7 says. 50% of the population today is single, so this is a huge issue. And married people certainly face struggles here. We talked about that a little last week. Singles face unique struggles in this area. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 7. It is a chapter designed for those who are single. Read it again, again. Meditate on it. Pull out principles from this. This should be one of your main chapters in regards to this area, single folks. But here's a quick summary. What about singles? They are called to live a holy life. <laughs> you are to save yourself for your spouse. You are to devote extra time and energy and passion to loving and serving Jesus. Paul actually says it's better when it comes to serving in the kingdom. It is better to be single than married. Because you have more time and energy to devote to your bridegroom, Jesus. It says the married person is focused on the marriage and pleasing their spouse. And so they don't have as much time and energy to serve the king of kings. Now he says it's not wrong to get married. And it's not, but, but he just says he's kind of going back and forth. It's, just, it's a fascinating chapter. You're to grow in your relationships with others so as to prepare yourself and others for future marriage should the Lord call you into marriage. You are to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He even says if you're, if, you're, if you're married, don't seek to be unmarried. And if you're not married, don't seek a spouse. Interesting verse. In other words, focus more time on preparing yourself to be the right person than finding the right person. Because if you, if you spend time preparing and you're becoming the right person, then God can bring that person into your life when he sees that the timing is right. How important to focus more on being the right person than finding the right person. Is it wrong to, to use dating apps? I'm not going to get into that. But I'll tell you this, you ought, your motive better be pure. And be careful which, which that stuff you use because, man, it is... I, I, I'm not a big fan of it, personally. you got to be super, super careful. Keep the backpack as light as possible. Because then you're in a position for God to bring you to that person when the timing is right. All right. If you are dating, or when you start dating, 
the great question. It was asked last week, but I want to spend a little bit more time on it today. How far is too far? Isn't this one of the most asked questions? <laughs> Got a great answer. Do not excite the passions beyond that which can be righteously satisfied. For some, that would be one standard. For another, it would be another. And let me give you some scriptures to support this. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, Do not awaken love until the time is right. In other words, again, do not excite the passions of the flesh beyond that which can be righteously satisfied. Proverbs 6 and 27, Can a man take fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? 1 Thessalonians 4, No one should defraud or wrong his brother or sister or take advantage of him. Ooh, there's a great passage about how singles ought to treat one another. You are to treat each other like a brother, like a sister. Ephesians 5 and 3, but among you, because he's comparing them to the pagans, the pagans are living an ungodly life. Well, that's because that's how pagans live. But you, you're a child of God. You're in the righteousness of Jesus. You have a new nature. I love this, how he does this in Ephesians. He affirms who they are in Christ. Then he challenges them toward behavior issues. But among you, child of God, there should not even be a hint. Wow, that's a, that's a high bar, isn't it? Shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. There shouldn't be even a, 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 a suggestion of immorality. Here's another good one to, 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 to pose if you're dating somebody. Are you sharing anything with each other that you would be uncomfortable with if Jesus were to walk in the room? Because he is in the room. <laughs> one of the questions last week, how do you get, that was texted in, how do you get God in the bedroom? He's already in the bedroom. I'd be more concerned about running him out of the bedroom with immorality and porn and stuff like that. Hello, come on. He's already there. He's, he, he sees all. He knows all. I love my preaching professor in seminary. He said, preach as if Jesus were in the audience because he is. Isn't that good? 1 Corinthians 6 and 18, flee sexual immorality. Romans 13 and 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh. No provision. In other words, don't see how close to the edge you can come. See how far from the edge you can stay. Always better to err on caution here. <laughs> Not getting the engine going too strong. Many will say, but I need to test drive the car before I buy it. Well, beloved, you test drive the car by getting to know the person. Talking, listening, relating, working through struggles, making sure you're spiritually on the same page. You don't have to have the physical stuff to test drive the car. You're called to be married. You have a lifetime of marriage to express and work on the physical stuff. If you don't get married, then you won't have sin to confess or have to deal with. Keeping the baggage free of debris. In many cultures, marriages are prearranged. And they learn to love the person and work out the physical stuff. When I was in college, I was a young believer privilege of being discipled again by a Campus Crusade staff member. I was dating a girl here at Georgia named Laura. Man, 
He's one of Nan's roommates. And somebody spoke one week at Campus Crusade and gave us this challenge, and it served me so well. Listen closely. This person said, David, don't share anything physical with Laura that you would not want another young man to share physically with your future wife. Because you may not are going to marry Laura, and I didn't. She ended up marrying a pastor. Your future wife might be dating Billy Bob over here. Don't share anything with Laura that you wouldn't want Billy Bob sharing with your future wife. Because you are not only preparing yourself for a future marriage, you're helping prepare Laura. Whoa. That was a paradigm shift. Because I want to be able to present Laura to her future husband, should we not be called to marry? If we're called to be married, then we're doing what will best prepare us for marriage. Another great reason to stay pure and holy in this area. In addition, I want to help prepare Laura for her future husband. I want to be able to hand Laura to her future husband one day and say, whoever your name is, I dated her for so many years, and I did nothing that is going to cause you struggles in your marriage with her. Whoa! I don't want to have to ask his forgiveness for something. Not that you necessarily have to do that, get counsel before you would, but the bottom line is, I'm helping prepare her, and this guy over here dating Dee Dee is hopefully helping prepare her for my marriage with her. Because the more stuff you do outside of God's will before marriage is baggage, is weight in your backpack. It's going to hinder. Let's get it out. What about porn? I'm amazed that some today think that this is normal and harmless. Nothing could be further from the truth. Very harmful. Unfortunately, it's so readily available. People's exposure at a younger and younger age, and it can be so addictive. It's a stronghold, it's potentially demonic. And beloved, it's not just men who fall prey to this. This statistic that is very current absolutely blew my mind this week. One third of women surveyed looked at porn weekly. This isn't just a male struggle. Jesus addressed it pretty specifically in Matthew 5. You have heard it said to not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It brings great harm to one's thought life. Great harm to one's relationship with God, relationship with self, relationship with others. So my counsel here is to be radically, spiritually empowered. Deal with this. Get freedom. Cut it off. Do whatever it takes to get this out of your life. Fight it with everything in you. And I believe this is an area that 
must have the help of another if it's gotten a, even a toehold in your life. And that's why in James 5 it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We've had groups here that have done the Conquer series. It's awesome. CR can help here. Step studies you can join. I want to read to you a letter from a wife whose husband was bound by pornography. This was shared in the Nobleman material, and I asked the man who does the teachings in Nobleman that we watch his videos to give me a copy, and he did. Listen carefully to this. Letter from a wife. I wish that every young man who is choosing to go to pornography would realize that their decisions they're making right now are not simply affecting them, they're affecting their future wife and kids. This applies to females too. It's a lie when you believe that this won't affect anyone. A total lie. The patterns that my husband chose as a single man have shaped our marriage. He thought that this would stop when he got married. It didn't. It got worse. At times, it's not as frequent as it used to be when he was single, but the devastation it causes is worse. I cannot trust him. His screwed up view of intimacy totally affects me and our marriage. I'm not a porn star. You marry reality, not a fantasy girl. My husband learned to associate intimacy with just getting his needs met. That leaves both of us feeling so empty. It's confusing for me. It's like if I love cooking for my husband, and he tells me that he loves my food, and it's his favorite, but then I keep finding a bunch of empty Burger King wrappers lying around. Then I can't help but think he obviously isn't satisfied with my cooking. But worse than cooking, it's not just what I made, it's who I am. When he goes to pornography, it tells me that he's not satisfied with who I am. I hate that it's not just the world who tells him that it's okay, but his Christian friends are so tolerant of men struggling with pornography. They communicate that every guy struggles with this. I wish they'd stop saying, I'll pray for you, bro, and would instead give him a black eye. I'm serious. I love him, but I literally wish that one of his Christian friends would punch him in the face. He's killing our family. He's like a sneaky, naughty little boy. I need a man who will lead our family. A godly man who will do whatever it takes to walk in purity. And I'm pleased to share that this man did get help. Radical help. He got free and he's walking in freedom. And his marriage is doing much, much better. Now before I take some questions, let me get some really practical today on how to grow in sanctification. We started with the positive. We're going to end with the positive. Sanctification is that wonderful theological word that's about growth in Christ, maturing in Christ, becoming more like Jesus, advancing in your maturity. It's an ongoing process. You see, there's three levels of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification happens at a moment in time when you're born again. Sanctification is the lifelong process of growing in your relationship with God. And glorification is when we receive our glorified body in heaven and we live with God forever. So this is that sanctification, that part of life that we're in right now. If you've been justified by faith in Christ alone, then you are to be being sanctified, growing in maturity, growing in godliness. 
And so how do we do that in this specific area, which is a big stumbling block for many? Number one, be deal with all past and present sin. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, if you, uh, if you uh, deny your sin or sweep it under the rug, you will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. 1 John 1 and 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 that God made him who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. First step in sanctification is doing what I did years ago. God, is there anything in my life I need to deal with? I want the whiteboard clean. David did this in Psalm 51 after he had sinned with Bathsheba. He gives this amazing confession in Psalm 51. I encourage you to read that today. He dealt with it, not just confession. He didn't just admit his sin and receive forgiveness. Man, he went deep. He said, God, what, what matters to you is a broken and a contrite spirit. He had a brokenness. He had a yieldedness. He went with absolute of, of transparency before God. He dealt with the root issues, I believe. And then I love in that Psalms where he says, now I can teach transgressors your ways because you've cleaned this vessel. It's getting out of this, what is in here that doesn't belong, that holds me back. God, I want to deal with it. I want to confess that. I want to renounce it. I've got old things that I put seeds in, and they grew bad plants, and I've got even little things, little rocks in here. And God, I want to have a clean backpack. I want to be free from that. And one of the great ways you can do that, and I put it in the weekly email last week, but today I made 40 copies, so they're right here on the front row if you want to get one afterwards. It's, it's, it's the part of the steps to freedom in Neil Anderson's resolving sexual sin. Walks you through a process of asking God to show you anything you need to deal with. You confess it. You repent of it. You rebuke the evil spirits that you may have given ground to. Beloved, listen, this area as much as any other can give ground to demonic spirits. I'm telling you from experience. I'm telling you from Scripture. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. You need to make sure that you have closed the door on any open doors in your life that may have allowed the snakes of demons to come in and multiply. Break those strongholds. Bind the evil one. Resist him. Get it under the blood and get free. You can get free from this. I'm telling you. Number two, be in the Word. Be in the Word. The Word, the Word, the Word. I love this. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, every time he responded, it is written, it is written, it is written. In Ephesians 6, it takes, says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word is where we get to know God. The Word is where we get to know the Gospel. The Word is where we learn who we are in Christ. The Word is where we learn how to counter the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's Word. The Word is where we learn the truth that will set us free. The Word is where we learn about the armor. The Word is what we learn what pleases to God. The Word is where we learn about the Holy Spirit. The Word! The Word! The Word! Jeremiah said, Thy words were found and I ate them. And they became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. Somebody said once, the word will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the word. 
The word will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the word. Number three, get godly support. If ever there was an area we cannot do it alone, it's this area. A band of brothers, a band of sisters. No other area, I believe, is under greater attack from Satan. In 2 Timothy 2.22, in the context of sexual immorality, it says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So you resist, but you pursue with others there beside you. Isn't that a cool verse? Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Who do you have in your life that you could go to and confess any sin? And listen, if you're married, your accountability person in this area should not be your spouse. Your accountability person should be somebody of the same gender that you can share anything, bear your soul with. And again, we shared it earlier, but here it is again, James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen to this. I believe you can certainly be forgiven by God by just confessing it alone, but I'm not sure you can be healed without the help of another. Now, God can do anything, but in this area, if there's a toehold, a foothold, a stronghold, it usually requires more than just personal confession to God. It usually requires the help of another, especially that ability. Confess it before another. They pray for you, and then the Bible says healing comes. And I'm so thankful. We have so many resources available to you here. We have counseling with Jimmy. We have surgical prayer with Rachel. We have CR on Friday nights with step studies that address this. We have connect groups all during the week. We have Ironman groups for just men. We have real groups for just women. So there are, an, praise God, there's an abundance of resources here to help you if you just avail yourselves of them. Number four, radically cut off temptations. Now, we cannot cut off all temptations, but we can do a lot to avoid many that come our way. I like the old phrase, you can't keep the bird from flying toward your head, but you can sure keep it from building a nest. <laughs> And so when Jesus said in Matthew 5, if your right hand causes you to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. What was he saying here? Was he saying we literally gouge our eye out? No. But he was giving an illustration, hyperbole, to make a point that if something causes you to sin, if something is a stumbling block, get it out and radically remove it. Do whatever it takes. You don't fool around with this stuff. Love the guy in our, in our nobleman group this week who said, I'm paying somebody to get, to get rid of everything on my computer, to put some safeguards on it. And then he said this, I don't care what it costs because to not do this will cost me my soul. Literally what he said. Amen. I don't care what it costs because to not do this will cost me my soul. Romans 13, 14, make no provision for the flesh. And finally, and this is so important, number five, fight from the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you don't fight with the law. You don't fight with rules and lists and legalism. You don't fight this with the effort of human strength. You fight it from the gospel, the liberating, transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Romans 6, we are already dead to sin. 2 Corinthians 5, we are already righteous. 1 Peter 2, we are declared a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared, and it instructs us to deny ungodliness and to live a holy life. Beloved, the gospel will never want, make you want to sin. <laughs> Even in Romans, it says, shall we sin that grace may increase? May it never be. Grace is so good. The love of God is so good. The gospel of Jesus is so good. The power of the Holy Spirit is so strong. That is what we fight from to live a holy life. So five things. Deal with your past and present sins and deal with it radically and thoroughly. Take one of these prayers if you need it. Be in the word. Get godly support of others. Radically cut off temptations and fight this in the gospel, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's take some questions. You can text those in or raise your hand. We had some doozies last week. We had some doozies this week. <laughs> okay. What if I've been sexually abused? Yeah, I'm going to hold that because next week, I'm going to spend a whole section on how to get free when you've been sexually abused. And we're going to have a testimony. And by the way, next week I'm going to reduce the amount of content I give. And we're going to have extended Q&A next week. And I'm thankful that Phyllis Kaiser, who is a licensed certified counselor and a trained uh, Christian sex therapist, is going to field those questions with me. So Phyllis will do that next week. But I'm going, one of the sections I will deal with next week is on sexual abuse. Is masturbation a sin? So here's my take on that. Number one, in most cases, if you sin in your mind, then obviously it's just like porn. It's the Matthew 5. If it becomes habitual, then it is certainly not healthy. Paul said, all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, I'll be mastered by nothing. In the very rare case where it's blessed by the spouse and you don't sin mentally, then it might be permissible, but only in very rare situations for very short seasons. That's my take on that. You can differ, and that's okay. I, I do get asked that a lot. Raise your hand or text it in. I know some don't have good cell coverage in this building. That's because you have AT&T, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you have Verizon, you have good coverage in here. I'm just saying. I'm not a salesman or anything. I'm just saying. It's a fact. Um, I would just like to make a statement and, and commend you on saying this and teaching uh, about this because there was once a time that it wasn't taught in the churches that we didn't like when I was growing up, we didn't talk about this. We didn't know 
So during that time, a lot of young people got um, lost into this, and they didn't know what to say, what to do, or anything. So it made a lot of mistakes in life. But I commend you on you. talking to us. I mean, I might be a little late, but I'm on, I'm listening and learning so I can help somebody else Amen. along the way. Thank you. Thank you. And Leola, I love what you said about to help others. I mean, we are all ambassadors of truth. And so whether it's a child or a grandchild, um, they need to hear this from us, from God's word, lest they get their information from places that are not going to be consistent with God's word. So thank you for that. All right, one more. I'm waiting. So where do we find that true Christian mate? Most churches keep singles separated. No, that's a, in my section on singleness, I, I failed to say this, and I'm going to go back to my notes. You do not need to be married to be complete. You're complete in Christ. Don't ever believe the lie that you're somehow less complete if single or that there's something wrong with you. In church, we need to be sure we don't treat our singles in any way that gives this impression. We need to be sure to include them in things. And those who are newly married, keep your relationship strong with your single friends. Where to find a godly spouse is in godly places. Uh, you don't catch a dolphin in a catfish pond. And people that are fishing at bars and nightclubs and ungodly places, why do you think you're going to find a godly man there? He is there. He ought not be there. So he needs to repent before you want to meet him anyway. But the best place to meet a, a godly person is in godly places. Living Hope Church, other places, conferences, seminars. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. And I'm telling you, God can bring that person. He is sovereign. He is holy. I, there have been testimonies of people who've gone to the mission field and didn't even expect to see a person of another gender and where they were serving. And God brought their spouse to them. So... You seek first the kingdom of God, and he will add the other things unto you. Is viewing porn the same thing as adultery? Okay, great question, because I have had women say, I have grounds for divorce because my husband uses porn. I said, you have grounds to really confront him, and we need to have a little session together with him, but it's not the same as actual adultery. So they're saying, he says, it's, it's as if. In other words, it's as serious but I don't believe that porn is a, can be a grounds for divorce. But it's certainly a grounds for major confrontation, maybe separation even. I would say it's as serious as it could warrant biblical separation. All right, this will be the last one. And then those who were given pieces of the heart, can I get those from you? Yes, sir. During the um, commission of a, um, let me see how to put this tactfully. When 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 an ungodly soul tie has been created with another person through through sexual you know um, sin, sinful sex, yep. When it comes time to like be done with that, and and um, can can a person by themselves just repent, confess it, and denounce it? Yes, but I, or does it take another person? Great question. So I love that you use the word soul tie. 
because that's exactly what it is. It, it connects your soul to that person when you have sex outside of the one man, one woman marriage relationship. So this is the prayer you need to use. You need to walk through the step that is right here. Yes, you can do it yourself because there's power in just having a broken heart before the Lord. At the same time, I think it's more effective and it's confirming to do it with another. Because that other person can come behind you, pray for you. They may sense something that you wouldn't have sensed. So yes, you can, but just to make sure you seal the deal, I would advise doing it with somebody. Great question, Stuart. Thank you. So this is how we're going to close today. In the illustration earlier of Charlie giving part of his heart to three different people, Beloved, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus says we all have broken and torn hearts from one thing or another. We've all sinned. We've all done things we regret. And Satan loves to remind us of this and condemn us and shame us. It's very important that we learn to distinguish between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy. The conviction of the Spirit is specific. It reveals to us our sin that we might go to the cross and be forgiven. The condemnation of the enemy is usually general, vague. It attacks our self-worth and doesn't give us hope. But God does convict of sin that he might then convict of righteousness. <laughs> That's John 16. And this torn heart today not only represents the sins we have committed sexually, but this torn heart can also represent sins against us. If you've been abused or taken advantage of by somebody, that has torn your heart. And we're going to address that next week. But I will say this. The beauty of the gospel is this. Where's your... Oh, here it is. The, here's the beauty of the gospel. Look at Galatians 2.20. This is what the Word says, you guys. I have been crucified with Christ. The Word also says in Colossians 2, this is an amazing passage. We based our whole Good Friday service on this one year. He forgave us all our sins. And then it says, anything that was against us, that could be things you've done that stood against you because you're under the wrath of God if it's not forgiven. But just think about that phrase. That which was against us, maybe also sins against us committed by others. In both cases, he took it away having nailed it to the cross. But you know what he actually does? Even more, even... As good as that is, this is what he, it says he really does. In Ezekiel 36, it says that he gives us a new heart <laughs> and puts a new spirit in us. That's what he does. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new spirit. That's how good the gospel is. 
so that in Christ you're righteous. He restores your soul. (laughs) He brings back those parts of our soul that we had given out through our sin. The soul tie, Stuart. He restores it. Gives you a new heart. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, The old has gone and the new has come. Folks, that's how good the gospel is. And so what is God saying to you today? What do you need to deal with? Where is there stuff in here that needs to be dealt with? Will you bring it to the cross? Where is your heart broken and shattered? You bring it to the cross. Where have you been sinned against? You bring it to the cross. The cross and the gospel of Jesus is the answer for all of this. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. The first thing I want to ask is if there's anybody here that needs to receive Jesus. You're not certain of your salvation. You're not certain you're born again. If you need to receive Christ today and be born again and give your heart to God, I just want to ask you to raise your hand and I'll lead you in a prayer. Anybody here that needs to receive Christ, open the door of your life. Anybody here today that you know there's some things from today's message you need to deal with. It may be forgiving somebody. It may be just confessing your sins. It may be that you're making a commitment to to start the process. Maybe it's not going to be resolved in this room today, but you're going to start the process. You know from today there's something that God is calling you to deal with. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Many. I want to encourage you if there's sin in your life, if you've been convicted today, just begin to do business with God right now. Maybe you want to come to the front here even. Or maybe you just have a burden to pray for somebody that you know is bound in this area. Confess that sin. Admit that before the Lord. Renounce it. Rebuke the evil one. I rebuke all the powers of darkness that I may have given ground to in this area. And I command you to go where Jesus sends you. I put the blood of Jesus between me and that sin. (laughs) Begin to do business with God. Receive his truth. (laughs) Oh, receive his truth. Let the truth of God wash over you. Father, we thank you for your amazing word and spirit today. Thank you for the clarity of your word. And thank you for the power of your spirit. Thank you for the body of Christ that is there for our help. Father, we want to be holy people for your glory. Thank you that you've shown us what we need to do in dealing with past stuff. Thank you that you you don't hold us captive to our past. Oh, praise you, God. Praise you that we're not captive to our past. But today can be the first day of the rest of our lives. Because the gospel gives the opportunity to start anew, to be forgiven, to be healed, 
to be restored. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Just begin to sweep across this room and minister. Your grace, your love, conviction if need be. Even repentance that would lead to times of refreshment. Anybody needs to come to the front, the altar is open. Prayer team, if you would go, please, and take your places at the corner of the stage and along the sides. If anybody needs prayer or go to a friend of yours for prayer, let's stand together and sing this great song that reminds us that it's only by the blood that we can be forgiven. Only by the blood.